You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Well, it is a, it's a constant challenge, and this is true for every, every church, especially the farther that we get away from the original birth of the church in the New Testament, the more that this is true. It is a constant challenge to continually fight to keep our expression of Christian community, meaning church, congruent with Jesus' original vision. That's a constant battle. So let me say that again. It is a constant challenge to continually fight to keep our expression of Christian community congruent with Jesus' original vision. Now, I want to qualify that by saying that I am not one of those people that believe that the church in 2023 can nor should look identical to the church of the first century. I think that is unnecessarily idealistic to believe that like, we can just go back to the first century and function the way they did. I mean, we are separated by 2,000 years of history. We live in an entirely different culture. And so one of the strengths of the Christian faith is and has always been that Jesus designed it to be very adaptive. And so it is adaptive for all people at all times in all places. Now, that being said, even though the proverbial skin of our faith will necessarily adapt and change, the essence or the heart of it is timeless. And it's that original vision of Jesus, a way of being with God and a way of being with one another in this world that we have to fight to retain. And the truth is, it is just so easy for us to drift. It's easy for us to drift into an expression of community that is just qualitatively different than Jesus intends. And so as as one example, it's my conviction that one of the most destructive ways that we as the modern church have drifted from Jesus' original vision is by trading the practice of shared ownership for spiritual consumerism. And here's what I mean by that. As we read the New Testament and we study the history of the early church, it is virtually impossible to deny. And I, I don't use a phrase like that lightly. Like anytime I hear a pastor go, the Bible is painfully clear. I'm like, is it? Because usually the stuff that we say that about is not so clear. In this case, I do think it is very impossible to deny that every follower of Jesus is called to position their life for full participation in his mission through life lived with the local church. The New Testament has no category for spiritual consumerism and has no category for any Christian living in isolation on their own. We are called to a life of shared ownership through life lived in the local church. So that means that we are all called to develop deeper and deeper relationship with God. That isn't just for like some spiritually elite Christians. All of us are called to that. We're all called to love and to serve one another. We're all called to give back to him from what he blesses us with. We are all called to pray for, to love, and to serve those who are outside of our faith. That responsibility is not reserved for just a special few. It is meant to be carried by all followers of Jesus. Now, the problem is we have traded that practice of shared ownership for spiritual consumerism. And so as a result, many of us treat church more like a Costco 
than the spiritual community to which we're called. Now, I know this is going to be the most controversial thing I say all day, okay? I know lots of people love it. I loathe Costco. Like, with the fire of a thousand suns. And the reasons that I loathe it are legion, but here is a major one. Everything is too big. It's just too big. The store itself, too big. I'm halfway through Costco, and my Apple Watch is like, do you want to log this hike? I'm like, no, I just came for ill-fitting clothes. That's all I need. I'm not here for exercise. The cart's way too big. It's like pushing a Hummer through a warehouse. The product's too big. Like, no one needs it. Who has the space to store a six-foot-tall box of cereal? It is madness. Now, all joking aside, there is one, if there, there, there's <clears throat> the thing about not just Costco, but really any store that we go to, is that we visit these places as consumers. We go there for one purpose, and that is to purchase goods and services. And so we go there in order to get. And this is one of the most destructive cultural postures that we have adopted as followers of Jesus in the modern church. We have become spiritual consumers. And spiritual consumerism is all about possessing goods and services for one's own betterment. And so what happens is church becomes this thing that we attend in order to consume sermons and songs. And it's an event that we come to in order to just feel better about life. And understand, there is nothing wrong with sermons and songs. I've given literally the last 20 years of my life to those two things. So there's nothing inherently wrong about that. There's nothing wrong with getting the much-needed encouragement that we all need in a discouraging world through weekly worship like this. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem comes when our experience of Christian community is nothing more than that, when that's the sum total. The problem comes when we position ourselves to only get from the local church, and never to give. And so that consumer posture does at least three things. One, it hinders our own formation, because that's not, pure consumption is not how formation happens. That's one of the great fallacies of so much of the teaching on spiritual practices over the last especially 30 to 40 years. Like, just consume this stuff and you will change. Well, that is not a biblical understanding of how people are formed and changed. But it also places the burden of ministry, the burden of the mission on just a few people. And that does this third terrible thing, which is that it actually stunts the expansion of God's kingdom in this world. And so here's the big idea that I want to remind us of today. It's this. Shared ownership is a prerequisite for any church to prosper. Shared ownership is a prerequisite for any church to prosper. And so what that means is there's just no success from God's point of view, from G- through the lens through which that Jesus perceived his vision for the local church. There is no success without shared ownership. And so the question that sits in front of us today is this. What does it look like to continue making this shift? And so to that end, I want to highlight... Uh, I want to draw our, I want to do two things, really. I want to first point our attention to one of many places in the New Testament that anchor this principle. And then secondly, I want to just highlight three requirements of us for us to be a people who practice shared ownership. So if you have a Bible or an app that you like to read on, do me a favor and open to Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans 12, we're going to look at <clears throat> verses 3 through 8. 
And I want to call this uh, from consumerism to shared ownership. From consumerism to shared ownership. Now, while you're finding Romans 12, uh, let me give you a little bit of context so that we understand what came before, because we're dropping like right into the middle of a chapter. And it is important that you understand, excuse me, what came before. So Paul has just written in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 what are two of my, maybe my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And so what he says is, he says that our response to God's endless mercy should be one of our entire lives surrendered to him. And it's very important at the outset that we understand that everything that we're about to read, everything that we're called to, is about a response. Because if we miss the fact that it's a response, we might hear it as some sort of standard for acceptance. So in order to be loved by God, in order to be accepted by God, in order to be a child of God, these are the things that you have to do. That is not what Paul's saying. He specifically says this is a response to the already freely given mercy of God to us. And he says that our response should be one of our entire lives surrendered to God. That, he says, is true worship. Not just singing songs, but lives lived, surrendered to the way of Jesus. And that means being transformed by the very slow, ongoing work of renewing our minds so that we can both know and do God's goodwill for us. That's everything that's loaded into verses 1 and 2. Now, in our verses, Paul is unpacking the fruit of that transformation. So in essence, what he's saying is, here's, here's one sign that transformation is taking place. Okay, so now look with me at verse 3. Paul starts like this. He says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually, we are members of one another. So I want you to notice in these first verses how Paul is stressing our unity here. He says that we are one body. And if you're familiar with the writings of Paul in the New Testament, then you know that the body is one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the church. And so let's sit with this metaphor for just a second. Think about your body. You only have one body, and it is comprised of many different parts that all serve a different function. So you have a head, you have a neck, you have shoulders and arms, a chest, an abdomen, hips, legs, and feet. And every single one of those parts serves your body in a different manner. And so your fingers, in reality, don't help you walk, And your toes, unless you're very unique, don't help you type. But they are both very necessary parts of your body. And so Paul says that our church is like that. We are one church, and as such, we are, what he says, members of one another. Furthermore, God has given different ones of us differing gifts in order to help our church be as fruitful as God desires for it to be. And so for that to happen, notice that Paul says that we have to think sensibly. Now, that phrase that we translate over from Greek means to be soberly wise or to think and to live wisely with self-control. So, in essence, it is the antithesis of any sort of pride that says, I should just be able to consume and never contribute. And so, it's a 
sobering humility that says, you know what, God, God has given me some important gifts with which to humbly serve his church in a meaningful way. And then he begins to unpack that beginning in verse 6. He goes on and says, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So, if you pay attention here, notice how Paul stresses unity in verses 3 through 5, and then in verses 6 through 8, he stresses our diversity. So he starts by going like, we're all one body, and then we all have diverse parts to play. And this is one of the multiple points at which the New Testament would report that every follower of Jesus, every single one, including you, is given at least one spiritual gift. Now, this is an essential piece of Christian theology. The scriptures teach that when a person makes the decision to surrender their life to Jesus by faith, that the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God himself, dwells within that person. And this is what God promised his people all the way back in Ezekiel 36, 27, when he said, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So because the spirit of God dwells within us, He also works through us in a variety of ways to both build up and to edify the church. Now, Paul's list of spiritual gifts here in Romans is one of a few in the New Testament. Now, none of them are meant to be exhaustive, but they do shed light on the nature of the gifts that he gives and how he intends them to build us up, uh, how he intends to build us up through them. So let's just consider a couple of the examples that he gives here. The first thing that he references is prophecy. Now, Unlike uh, the way that we are prone to think about it, and unlike the way that prophecy tends to be taught about in mu- inside of much of evangelicalism, prophecy does not mean here predicting the future. It refers to the ability to declare the mind, the will, or the knowledge of God. So teaching and preaching is often a prophetic act of saying this is something that God wants to say to us right now, and that is a spiritual gift that some have. Uh, secondly, he talks about service. Now, service is exactly what it sounds like. It is simply work, um, often unglamorous work that is done by a person or a group for the benefit of others. Teaching is simply the ability to impart skills or knowledge. To exhort is to earnestly support or encourage a response or an action in someone. Giving is sharing out of one's own portion. Leading means being responsible for something. Mercy is compassion in action. Now, looking at these examples, there's at least two things that we have to glean here. The first thing is that spiritual gifts exist for the good of others because they are all others-focused, others-centric. So they are not self-centered. They exist to build up other people. And when we don't do our part, and this is what we have to see, then the rest of the body suffers because it's missing something. And then secondly, as a result of all that, the health of our church demands that we take ownership and that we contribute what God has given to us. But do you know that sadly, this is, these numbers have held very steady now for a very long time. Research would show that only 15% of those who attend worship on the weekend are truly active in their church in terms of working in the church and in terms of giving. 
Now, I'm happy to report that our percentage is certainly higher than that, but that doesn't mean that we don't have significant opportunity to exercise more ownership in the health of our body. And so as I stated at the outset, I want to spend these last few minutes talking about what this ongoing shift is going to require from us. And so let me start by just defining what I mean when I use the, the, the term ownership, all right? Ownership is this. Ownership means caring enough to contribute all I can with what God has given me to see my community flourish. That's what I mean by ownership. Ownership means caring enough to contribute all that I can with what God's given me to see my community flourish. Now, within that definition, I want you to notice that there's at least three requirements. The first is this. Ownership means we have to care. That seems like a really important place to start. We have to care. And when I say care, I think it's crucial that we understand that as far more than a mere emotional response, like an, oh, I care. Like, like I hear all the time in here when I tell some sad story about myself and someone goes, oh, it's like a sad sympathy kind of thing. It's more than that. Caring is an expression of love. It's something I do. It isn't just something that I feel. So think about, um, I have the privilege of being a husband and a dad, and because I care for my family, I work really, really hard to be a healthy, faithful presence to them. I work to provide what we need emotionally and physically and financially. I don't get to just simply profess that I care for them, but then not display that care through concrete actions. So there is a feeling, but that feeling only comes to full fruition through caring action. And so the caring action for me in my own home is I invest in the interests of my wife and my kids. I try to pay attention to them. I listen to them. I do my best to share my own inner world with them, all because I care. And in the same way, shared ownership in our church means we have to care. And some people don't care. And so one thing certainly Jesus is calling us to is that we would care. And more specifically, number two, shared ownership means we have to care about the community, meaning this community, not just the community outside of our spiritual community, but we have to care about our spiritual community. And this is where we really begin to make the shift from consumerism to shared ownership. We don't just care about the health of the church because of what we get out of it, but because we care about this community at large. So I, I want you to really think about this for a second. Do you know that there are people sitting in this room right now that are living with significant wounds in their lives, and God is healing them here? There are people in our community right now, and they are in a place in their spiritual journey where their connection to our church is their most significant connection to Jesus. Furthermore, less than 2% of the nearly 2 million people living in our city and surrounding area are a part of a Bible-believing church. That is the lowest percentage of people in any city in the United States of America. And so my point is that formation is so much bigger than you. And that's why it pains me so deeply when people will leave a church simply because their personal preference was not met. Guess what? Our church doesn't meet many of my preferences, and I lead it. 
But the truth is, it isn't about my preferences. And I love you, and it's not about your preferences. That is consumerism. If your entire decision about where you choose to participate at a church is based on, does this place meet my preferences? I love you. You are a spiritual consumer, and that is a problem for you. We are called to more. The only thing that matters is being a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. That's what matters. It barely matters if you love all the songs. It barely matters if you like the way that we do everything. Now, if you think we're doing something harmful or sinful, that's a problem. That's not just preferential. But if you're just like, I don't like the songs we sing. I love you. Who cares? I don't like all the songs we sing. I wanted to sing the doxology today, and Shanna ruined it. (laughs) I love you, Shanna even though you stole a small piece of joy from my morning. (laughs) Ownership means, it means we have to care, not just about what we want, not just about our preferences, we have to care about what God is doing in this community. And that involves you, but it isn't just about you. And then finally, as, as we care about the community, that is going to look like something very specific. It's going to mean that we have to care enough to contribute what we can. Not to just, again, sit back and have a feeling of like, I really care about this, but that we will contribute, meaning we have to serve where we can. We have to give where we can. We have to connect in community where we can. And when I say what or where we can, I am not saying what, where, and when it's comfortable or convenient. Taking personal ownership of the mission of our church is going to require sacrifice from all of us. And listen, my family, just like many of yours, has contributed hundreds of hours of service to this church, thousands of dollars to this church, and we have invested our hearts in this church, just like many of you. And all of that has required immense sacrifice. Ownership demands contribution, and to contribute in one way means to go without another. That's the definition of sacrifice. And if we aren't willing to sacrifice, then we simply are not sharing ownership. Shared ownership is a prerequisite for any church to prosper. And so as we get ready to close, I really, really want to hear you. I want you to hear this because I understand those last five to seven minutes are very high challenge. And so I want to qualify this. I want you to understand I am in no way and never will ask anyone to sacrifice anything to their detriment. I know that some of you come from church backgrounds where you have been taken from and taken from and taken from and there was always more to do and always more hours to serve and it just devastated your soul. I get that. I'm not asking for that. But we have to not live on one of these two extremes where we either do everything or we do nothing. Jesus calls us to this third way in the middle that does require sacrifice, that does cost us something that isn't always convenient and easy. And somehow in the midst of that, despite the sacrifice, our souls actually do flourish and thrive. 
And so all I'm really asking is that we would all do our part. I'm asking you to develop your relationship with Jesus. I can't do that for you. I'm asking you to be here for worship when you feel like it and when you don't. I'm asking you to invest into community with other people, even if that means sacrificing a couple hours a week. I'm asking you to give financially to what God wants to do in and through our church, to forego your preference for the good of the whole. This is the response that God's mercy invites from us. This is what transformation looks like. This, Paul would say, is our true worship. Shared ownership is a prerequisite for any church to prosper. And so together, let's own the mission and the vision of formation together. Will you pray with me? Father, you are a God who gives. You are a God who serves. You are a God who sacrifices. And you do all of that for our good. And so we thank you for your willingness to do that. We would be lost without your sacrifice. And Lord, at the very same time, that we, we, we acknowledge that as we embrace this gift of your sacrifice, that you call us to sacrifice our own lives for one another, to sacrifice our own preferences, our own desires, our own time, Lord, you, all, you, you, you call us to, to contribute, not just to consume. And it's hard, Lord. Everything that we are looking at here, Lord, so much of what you call us to runs counter to the way that culture is moving and culture calls us and the vision of life that culture is conveying to us. And so we're just up against a lot. But I thank you, just as you promised, all the way back through the prophet Ezekiel, that your very spirit dwells within us and that you empower us to say yes to all that you invite. And so, Lord, we, I pray, would hear your invitation to share the ownership of loving and serving and contributing and participating in all of these various things, that we would hear your invitation to share that ownership, help us to care about this community to an extent that we would contribute out of what you have given to us. And I pray that we would do that in a way that is healthy and balanced and measured so that we flourish in addition to the community. Lord, we need your help with this, and so we ask that you would help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to just remain where you are with your eyes closed for just a moment. Just so you can really sit for a moment and listen to what God might want to say to you. So take just a moment, and I want to invite you to ask God, Lord, what are you inviting me to in this?
Where is there a shift that needs to take place in my own heart, in my own mind, in my own behavior? Just sit and listen to what he has to say to you and then respond back to him in whatever way you need to. We'll hit some Q&A. If you have any other questions that come to mind, feel free to send those in. Uh, Will you speak to seasons of life when contributing one more thing, financially or in service, seems too much? How do we know when we are in those seasons? How do we know when we are not in those seasons? Um, That's a great question. That is very difficult to answer. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that there are very uh, typical ones. Like, I know that, uh, and I've talked about this before, but like, for instance, community groups are on my mind because I'm getting ready to go to mine this afternoon. Uh, That would have been a lot more challenging when we had like napping babies uh, a Sunday afternoon, unless we hosted it at our house, for instance, which some people are doing. Um, because they have kids that are napping uh, or sleeping in the evening, like that. That would, and we were like, we were not like parents that were just like, you guys go to bed whenever you think. Like we were like real militant about bedtime. And uh, so there are, I think, seasons of life like that that are very typical. To be able to do some of those things would be really, really hard. Um, and then it's some things. Uh, as my kids have gotten older, some things in our lives have gotten far more complicated, and some things have gotten easier. You know, like they don't die when you leave them alone for a few minutes. So that's a win. Uh, <clears throat> and so now an afternoon thing is actually like evenings are way harder for us. So that's why we've chosen to do uh, an afternoon thing. So I think paying attention to those seasons and not feeling guilty or bad. Like some of you might legitimately be in a season where a community group is not possible for you. Um, some of you might be in, so like we have some people in our church that have some health issues that makes serving on a Sunday morning, um, all but impossible. That is okay. Like, there is no judgment, no, no one, just so you know, like, I'm not sitting out on that sidewalk as you come in going, here they come, coming to do nothing, just consuming. <laughs> I'm not thinking that at all. Like, I, I understand. Like, the, like, most of the people that have something like that have done such a good job of talking about it, and I don't want anyone, I, don't, I mean, I don't want people doing anything out of guilt, because I don't think Jesus wants us doing things out of guilt, um, and so that is never the intention. <clears throat> so, but what I, I would say that oftentimes we can usually do something. Like there are, and, and so I think, I think the thing to pay attention to is oftentimes a, the heart thing. Like, is there just a challenge that I just don't want to be uh, inconvenienced by? Or is there something that is detrimental? Like if something is going to be detrimental, if something is going to be harmful, then you should not do it. If something is just inconvenient, then there might be something to sit with and to pray about that. So I know oftentimes in questions like this, we want kind of a real clear black and white. And unfortunately, there are a lot of situations in life that cannot be answered like that. And so I think you need to really look at your own heart and think about what, what is really standing between me and this thing I'm being called to, invited to, or challenged by. And if the... To say yes to that would be detrimental or harmful, whichever word you prefer, then I don't believe that God's calling you to that because I don't believe that God, God is for our flourishing. And if it is just a matter of convenience or, again, preference, then I think that's a great thing to spend some time wrestling with God about. So I hope that that's, I know that's not the clearest answer, but hopefully that's helpful. Next. 
If I'm not sure what gift I've been given to serve the church with, what would be a good way to try and figure it out? Um, That's a great question. I am leery when it comes to spiritual gift assessments, you know, because you can go Google like spiritual gift assessment and some nerd made an app. And uh, those those make me a little bit nervous uh, for two reasons. One is it, it just it takes the, the gifts that are listed in the New Testament, which is good. But again, any commentator, scholar you read on these lists will tell you these, Paul never intends these lists to be exhaustive. So the, the New Testament does not even contain a list of the full range of spiritual gifts. So when you take an assessment online, there are some spiritual gifts that you might possess that are not going to come out there, and that's a problem. The second thing would be, I find that with virtually any kind of like online assessment thing, we have a pretty, you have an ability to control the outcome. So you can answer the way that you want, that you should answer, or you feel like I want this to be true about me rather than what's really true. So here's my, like when it comes to um, really identifying your spiritual gift, historically, the way that that has been done is in community. And so the way that it happens is you like, like let's say in a, I don't know what is happening in the back. <laughs> They are having a much better time than we are. Uh, every once in a while, something comes and I'm like, should I address that? Uh, <clears throat> they're fine. Uh, historically, the way that our spiritual gifts have been identified is in community with one another. So for instance, let's say, and this is a great, great way for community groups to function with one another. You have someone in your group that just like, like I'll give you a great example, Quentin, okay? This is gonna make him uncomfortable. Uh, in a good way, hopefully. Uh, Quentin is the most, and I'm, I'm like, I've really thought about it, probably the most encouraging, non-anxious presence I have ever encountered. We had a leadership, we had a leadership council meeting two weeks ago. <laughs> this is just, we got nothing to hide. So we're going around, I was like, I just want to hear, how you coming? And everybody, to a T, every single person's like, I'm real worried about Tyler. I'm real concerned about Tyler. I'm really worried about Tyler. We get to Quentin, and he's like, I think everything's going to be fine. <laughs> And, and now listen, like there are some people that are so emotionally repressed, this was me, that I was like, there was a long time in my life, I couldn't even go, I couldn't even acknowledge those kinds of concerns because it made me so uncomfortable. But he ha- really has this very encouraging way about him. So I would say one of Quentin's spiritual gifts is the gift of encouragement. He's a very encouraging presence to people. And that isn't because he walked in on his first day going, hi, I have the gift of encouragement and I'm here to use it. Now, I've met some people that have done that. I got to tell you, they're never encouraging, and their gifts are never what they think they are. Um, and this, we see, I've seen this with worship. When I was a worship, people would come and be like, I have the spiritual gift of leading worship. I was like, number one, I don't think that's a thing. Number two, when you sing, even angels cry. So I don't think that's true. So our gifts are meant to be recognized in community and by the community. So that is probably the most Uh, So I would look for patterns in your own lives. And then if you are doing the work of trying to discern that right now, it might be good to meet with a handful of people that really know you and to say like, a question could be like, when you look through these, like, do any of these remind you of me? Or I feel like maybe God has given me the gift of, of serving. Now, everybody can serve. Some people have a very unique ability to serve. They don't care what it is. If it's menial, if it's behind the scenes, they just like, and they're like, I'm pumped to be doing this. 
And so I, I would say we all need to serve, and some people have a unique spiritual gift where they are really like equipped by the Spirit of God to do that. And so as those things are identified, then we can lean into them more and more. Next question. Can you get super practical? Uh, what areas of service are you looking for people to serve in? What does taking ownership mean? I mean, I gave a definition for that one. Do you want us to come to you with ideas? Just do them. Can you give us a really solid first step to take? That is a lot of questions. <laughs> um, uh, okay, well, let's just kind of break these down. Um, areas of service that we are looking for people to serve in. We um, can always use help. I mean, we can really always use help in all of our areas. Children's ministry tends to be the place where it's the hardest to staff because it's the one place that requires missing the service. Um, and so I would say if there's one, one place, now the only, like, and sometimes serving in children's ministry can be very, very intimidating for some people that aren't comfortable with kids. Uh, it's usually not as scary as you think. People are always like, well, I don't really want to change diapers. Cool. We don't really want you cha changing strange kids' diapers either. Like, so you don't have to do that. Don't worry about that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to teach. Uh, so there's a lot of different opportunity there. So that is, is a really, really important one. I would say even more than, like, if you're not serving anywhere, find any place to jump in. Like, if you're not serving on any team, I truthfully, I don't care. Serve anywhere because it lightens the load the more that everybody does their part. I would say some things that have been pain points in the past is when, like, we send out a link. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. For people that are already on teams to sign up to serve and people wait and they wait, and they wait, and we get to like three days from the service, and we're like, well, we don't even know if we have anyone to watch kids. It's more that that has been the pain point. So it's if you are already serving in an area, really ownership means like, well, I really care that every area of this church is, is staffed and provided for, and so when I see that, at my earliest ability, I'm, I'm going to sign up, and I'm going to really help there. Um, so that, I would say, is probably the most important. Um... Yeah, and I think, like, what does taking ownership mean? I think, uh, <clears throat> to me, a lot of it has to do with uh, that, that all of us really care. Like, here's a, just a dumb example. Uh, part of my kind of morning ritual when I come here on Sundays is uh, after we're done with team prayer, I usually lap this building one time and pray over this space, pray over our time, uh, pray that God would fill this place with his presence, and, uh, and sometimes I see trash, and when I see trash, I pick it up. I know that's like a stupid thing. It's never like a, but, but to me, that's one little way that, like, for me, I'm trying to practice ownership. Like, I remember for the, most of you were not a part of this, but we started in this super sketch little building down at 2100 South that we literally, at times, would come across the parking lot, and there was this strange combination of used needles and used diapers, I'm very uncomfortable with those two things by themselves just in the parking lot. Together is hella concerning. <clears throat> and, and so, like, we had to do a lot of that kind of, a lot of cleaning that kind of stuff up. But, like, coming back to this, I, I care about your experience when you come. And some people only care about their experience. And so, like, some, like, maybe you're the kind of parent, for instance, that you're like, we could have the kids running around in here, and I, that wouldn't bother me at all. Okay, well, there's some people that it would really bother, because it's, it can be very, very distracting, because truthfully, not everything we talk about in here is age-appropriate for little kids. 
And so it's about not just caring about you, not just seeing through your lens, but trying to see through other people's lens. What, how, how do we minister to the most people possible? That's really, I think, the heart of what it means to take ownership. And then I think lastly, if you do have some ideas, then absolutely come with those ideas and come intending to be the solution to those ideas as well. Not just, here's something I think you could do. Um, come thinking like, this is something I really feel like God wants me to do. Does that make sense? Good. Let's do it. we have any more? No? 